Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Lindsay. Hey, y'all, my name is Cody. I'm one of the pastors here and on our teaching team. And today we're closing out our Healthy Church sermon series. And I promise you, like I wrote my talk before I knew that that letter was going to be read about some church wounding and some church hurt. You're gonna hear a little bit more of that uh, today. Again, we didn't plan that. This is just how things are flowing. But as we talk about what a healthy church is, you're gonna focus a little bit on what unhealthy church dynamic is so that you can avoid it. So it's only natural that it comes up. And for some of you, it's bubbled up in your life. And and I wanna share some of my story, some of our experience. And so um, the church that Robin and I were at before we got here to North Star, had some toxicity, it had some unhealth to it. I believe they truly loved Jesus, but they they had some brokenness like all churches do. And there was a specific guy on staff that everybody seemed to be afraid of, like just low-key afraid of. He could walk into a room of staff members and everyone would stop talking because he was in the room. And so anyways, this this was a pretty big church, thousands and thousands of people among five different campuses. And since there were so many ministries, so much going on, we had to plan out everything a year to a year and a half in advance so that the church didn't, so the ministries didn't kind of step on each other's toes. And all that makes sense and it's strategic and it's good. Um, So during the fall, we would start planning for the year in advance. And you would, as you planned out events, you would have to plan out um, where the event was gonna be and how much money it was gonna cost and how many people were gonna show up to this event a year to a year and a half in advance and what the goal of the the meeting was and what the next step for them was, all of it was gonna be put into a binder. And so I was over our college ministry and our young adult ministry, so I needed to, to make two binders. But I had only been on staff like two or three months at this point. And so I had no idea what a full year of ministry and rhythm looked like in this environment. So my boss said, Cody, follow the plan that the last guy put together. He was brilliant. We loved him. His ministry was huge. He's awesome. Like follow his plan. So I tweaked a few things, but for the most part, I followed his plan. We had to have our binders done by a certain day to give to our boss because he was going to present to this lead executive pastor, kind of the guy everyone was afraid of on a certain day. Well, on the day that that came, the lead executive pastor said, you know what, I don't just want you to present, I want your whole team here to present. And I think this was kind of a power move because he didn't let us know, it was very last minute. We all had to cancel plans with leaders and, and lunch meetings and everything like that. And we were scrambling and I could tell that my boss was very nervous and on high alert for us to be brought into uh, this environment and I found out why soon. And so, Uh, I walked into a conference room where we were gonna present these binders and it felt like I was on an episode of Shark Tank. I I walked in there and this guy like started ripping my plan apart. He was snarky, he was degrading. He would say things like, yeah, that'll work. Like he was just tearing me apart. Didn't really give suggestions of what I could do better, just tore it all down. And I've been in environments before where I get yelled at or where I get a stern talking to. Like I played high school sports. There are times you get, you expect it in that environment, right? But it totally sidelined me to, to have this experience in a church environment where as coworkers, you're striving to advance the gospel. I didn't see it coming. And it was the start of some, some pretty big church hurt in my life. Now, in that moment, 
as this was happening, uh, I felt both fight and flight in that moment. My fight, if you will, was as he was tearing down a plan, I tried to keep smiling. I tried to act like it didn't bother me. And at one point I even made a joke because I wanted him to know that he didn't scare me. And he probably saw right through it because the truth of the matter is I was scared. Like I was definitely scared and I was spiraling. On the inside, I was thinking, why on earth? Like we were brand new to marriage, moved across the country, bought our first house and we had committed to being at this church for a couple of years. So I was like, what on earth did I just bring us into this kind of toxic environment? And uh, I did have... Eventually, I got fired from this church. I've shared that story uh, later, or I've shared that story at a different time. It has to do a lot with this toxic culture of why I was let go. Um, Didn't help my uh, woundings and my insecurities, but I did get a little bit of closure. Um, Like four to five years after we had left that church, I got a phone call from my old boss And he started to apologize to me. And he started to say, Cody, the lead executive pastor has been let go by the elders. And there's other people on our church that were perpetuating this culture and they've repented. And and Cody, you'll probably never end up back at this church, but I wanna let you know that like we are striving for health and we're striving to to turn a new corner. And it was was the start of some healing uh, for Robin and I. I had the phone on speaker and I was listening and Robin worked part-time at the church and she was listening and we were both crying. And it, it was a start. Right Now, I'm not trying to pin a bow on this story. Again, I still like, find myself operating out of insecurities from that season where I, I do something and I inadvertently think in my mind, well, if only so-and-so could see me now and they could see what I'm doing here, maybe they would be proud of me or impressed with me or something, right? And so on my worst days, I still find myself operating in that insecurity. But at least I got a little bit of closure. There are some of you in this room, you've had zero closure when it comes to church wounding or church hurt in your life. And unfortunately, the church can be one of the biggest places of wounding on the planet. And I think here's why, is the church is meant to be a beacon of hope. It's meant to reflect God's glory and God's love. It's meant to be a hospital for the broken, all of these beautiful things. And when the church doesn't live up to that standard, it's heartbreaking. And if we were to do a show of hands of who's kind of experienced just hard relational dynamic or church hurt in this room, I bet there would be a lot of hands. I hope you know you're not alone. If that's you that I'm talking about. And uh, King David, uh, a guy who wrote a good chunk of the Old Testament, he can relate as well. Uh, King David, he, he talks about being betrayed by somebody that was made to love him. Uh, He was met with aggression and wounding in an environment that was supposed to be safe. And he reflects on it in Psalm 55. And he's, he's talking about his son, Absalom. Now his son, like when I say his son betrayed him, his son literally formed a military coup to oust him from power. So like life and death stuff here. And, and David was heartbroken by it. Um, and a commentator on Psalm 55 says this. He says, we see in this Psalm the heart of a father forsaken by his son and the brokenness of a friend being forsaken by a best friend. So with that, let's read Psalm 55, starting in verse 12. It says, it's not an enemy who taunts me, because I could bear that. It's not my foe who so arrogantly insults me, because I could have hidden from them. And I, I hope you hear the pain in verse 13. Instead, it's you. 
It's my equal, my companion, and my close friend. What good fellowship we once enjoyed as we walked together in the house of God. And house of God is the church, it's the temple. And then jumping down to verse 20. As for my companion, he betrayed his friends, he broke his promises. His words are smooth as butter, but his heart is war. His words are soothing as lotion, but underneath are daggers. So David has experienced what so many of us have. Betrayal and attack from fellow believers by people who mean so much to us, by people who are supposed to have our back, by people who are supposed to imitate the good shepherd. And maybe you're familiar within the New Testament, Jesus in his I am statements, he says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd is the one who lays down his life for the sheep, who protects the sheep, who provides for the sheep, who leaves the 99 to go get the one. That's a good shepherd. And Jesus was actually in that moment, he was referring back to an Old Testament passage, Ezekiel chapter 34. It's all about this idea of the good and the bad shepherd. And it's actually our, in our Bible reading plan for today, if you're following along. If you wanna follow along, there's a journal through those doors for you. But in Ezekiel 34, the author is literally writing to the religious leaders about how they're being bad shepherds. He says, you don't take care of the weak sheep. You line your own pockets with money. You feed yourself, you clothe yourself. You do everything for yourself. You're not looking out for the sheep. And this is obviously something God is not okay with. For the leaders of the church or for the people of the church to act in this way, self-gratifying, self-seeking, self-serving, that's not God's heart. Instead, we were made to honor and exemplify one another, especially in the church. And we're held to a higher standard in the church. But instead, we often experience betrayal and contempt and competing for one another with honor. And so the title for today's talk is A Healthy Church. It has a culture of honor. Honor flows, it emanates from a healthy church. And the word for honor in the New Testament in the Greek is the word time. And uh, the first meaning is one you're probably familiar with. It means to honor somebody or to exalt them, to talk them up. I really like the second definition. I think it embodies honor in, in this context. To honor somebody is to declare their price or their value, their worth in the eyes of the beholder. So it's to speak into somebody who they are because of whose they are. And ultimately, the ultimate honor that you and I have received is through how God has spoken, through giving his son Jesus, Jesus paying the, uh, the, the payment on our behalf, taking the punishment for us. Through his blood, Jesus has honored you and me. There's no greater honor that could be spoken. There's no like higher honor. This is it, what Jesus has done for us. And he communicates honor and worth and value to us. And here's the deal. All of us have a universal desire to be honored. I want to be honored. You want to be honored. Everybody wants to know their worth and their value, and they want to be reminded of it often. That's not a bad thing. We were made to, to know our worth and our value. That's not a bad thing. Where we can get in trouble is how we pursue honor, right? That's where the problem can arise, is how we pursue honor. We can be tempted in moments of trying to pursue honor and worth and value to, to exalt ourselves or, or, or to be almost competitive in who is seeking the most attaboys or who is seeking the most, you know, getting the most celebrations in our life. And, and the ugly parts of our pride can start to rise and we can start to think to ourselves, 
Don't they see how hard I work? Why is nobody honoring me? Or don't they see how good of a mom I am? Why is nobody honoring me? Don't my kids see how much I sacrifice? Why aren't they honoring me? Don't they see how hard I work on my schoolwork or my, my uh, sports or music or whatever it is that, that you're good at? Don't they see how much I'm striving? Why is nobody honoring me? Don't they see how well I listen? how empathetic I am, why is nobody honoring? Whatever your thing is that you use to try to get value and try to get worth and try to get approval, that, that can lead us to a place of seeking honor in the wrong way. And unfortunately, one of the, the core cruxes of the human race is we can so easily forget the honor that's been bestowed upon us. Bestow is a fun word. When honor's been bestowed on us, we can so easily forget that and we, we seek it in wrong ways. We go looking for love and honor in all the wrong places, and before we know it, we let anybody tell us a, a false sense of value over us. Even if it's someone we're arguing with on social media about who knows what, we, we sometimes give them permission to speak over our lives about who we are and our honor and our worth and our value. And unfortunately, we so easily forget the honor that Christ has given us. And so Jesus warns us, he actually warns us in the New Testament to not position ourselves in places of honor. That's not, that's not how we receive honor. Instead, we're supposed to, to give honor in these ways. Romans 12 verse 10 says, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. So we're called to, to speak honor into one another, to look at one another and communicate way more than we seek it on our own. We're called to give, right? Then 1 Peter 2, 17, it says, show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. Now, every commandment, the 10 commandments, the greatest commandment, it could all be wrapped up in this verse. Everything flows from this. And so you and I are called to look into one another's eyes and express value and honor to one another. So what I want us to do right now is look into your neighbor's eyes and, ex I'm kidding, we're not gonna do that. <laughs> Don't be weird, right? <laughs> All right, but we are called to honor one another. And here's what I think the high level outflow of honor looks like. I'm probably wrong on this, I'm probably missing something, but here's the imagery I picture of what honor looks like. First off, at the top, we're supposed to honor God as king. First and foremost, because God made everything, he's in everything, he's over everything, he knows how the world exists. We're, we as his stewards are called to honor him with our time, our talent, our treasure, knowing that everything is his. Uh, next, we're supposed to honor the people closest to us, and then the third category is kind of a catch-all. We're supposed to honor people we disagree with, people that are different than us, or people that we have authority over. And so first off, let's dive into what it means to honor God as king. I didn't come up with this definition, but I love it. A definition for wisdom is living in God's world, God's way. Wisdom is living in God's world the way that God has designed it. And ultimately what that means is at some point, we're called to submit to God's ways. And, and, and here's the deal. I'm okay with following certain rules or certain commandments as long as I know that it benefits me or other people and it makes sense and it, it keeps people from harm or whatever. If a rule makes sense, 
there's a chance I'm gonna follow it. But, but if a rule makes no sense, is anyone with me in this? Like if a rule doesn't make sense, it's really hard to follow that rule. And there are times God calls us to do things we don't wanna do, and it doesn't seem like it's gonna benefit anybody, but God calls us to it anyways. And I think that's a, an added level of revealing our heart posture. Are we going to follow him and honor him regardless of what we think about what he calls us to do? And a perfect example of that, let's go back to that 1 Peter 2, uh, 17 verse. Again, show respect to everybody, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. Now the modern day translation of emperor is your political leaders. So church, how are we doing at honoring our political leaders? Does that challenge anybody? Woo! Right? How free would our lives be if we were freed up knowing our identity in Christ, our future in Christ, God is sovereign over all things, and we were able to look at our political leaders for who Christ sees them to be, that would be so freeing. And I'm not saying I have that freedom yet, but I want it, and I hope you do too. Like that no matter who's in power, could be Trump, could be Biden, whoever it is, that the outflow of our hearts would be honoring them. That's challenging stuff, but that's, that's it's something to strive for. And let's just, by the way, when Paul wrote this, honor the emperor, if we think we have it hard, let's remember that Paul, they were led by Emperor Nero, who would literally take Christians and dip them in wax and light them on fire in his garden to create human torches. He would persecute Christians in all sorts of wild ways. So let's just, like, if we think we have it, oh, it's never been worse in 20, no, like, come on. If it's hard for us, it's super hard for them. All right, one more angle I'm gonna look at of honoring God before I move on. Honoring God involves following him regardless of how other people represent him. So here's a promise for you, and David alluded to it when he was up here. If you hang around North Star long enough, I promise you're gonna be rubbed the wrong way. You're gonna experience some sort of wounding because as we get close to one another, we're broken and things happen, right? So whether it's something that one of us says or it's in a small group or in the ministry that you serve in or however, wherever, you're gonna be wounded at some point and North Star is gonna fall short. And, and here, here's the tragic news is there is a massive trend of people right now not only leaving the church because of church wounding, but they're leaving a relationship with God altogether. They're completely throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And and let me just say, by the way, I, I totally affirm if you need to leave a church because they're toxic or a relationship that's toxic, that, that may be absolutely what you need to do for you, for you and your family, whatever. I'm not saying that's wrong. But, but leaving God altogether, like saying I'm completely done with God, there is some hypocritical and self-righteous thinking wrapped up in that mentality. Because ultimately what you're saying is because this person showed their brokenness and their inconsistency, I'm done with God. And what does that say about your brokenness or your inconsistency or my brokenness or my inconsistency? Because ultimately, one of the core tenets of the Christian faith is we all admit that I'm broken and I'm in process and one day in the new heavens and new earth, I'll be better. But until that day, I'm striving, but I'm still broken, right? And so for for us to, to leave God because some Christian didn't live up to a standard of what you think a Christian should be is a dangerous place to be before a living God. We don't want to leave God altogether. It's only in God that healing is going to be found. 
Like that's the only way forward. And we would love to help you journey through that. Like we'll help pay for counseling or we would love to process with you or whatever resources you need. We would love to help you in the midst of that. But, but let's not leave God altogether. When Judas betrayed Jesus, the disciples, they didn't quit on Jesus, they, they kept their eyes on him. Again, easier said than done, but, but that's what we're called to because he's worthy of honor, he's worthy of praise, he's worthy of glory regardless of how other people represent him. Don't let other people spoil your relationship with God. Let me move on. Honoring one another starts with honoring the people closest to us. Unfortunately, many of you in the room, if you have some church wounding, there's a likelihood that it came from your immediate family, your mom, your dad, whoever your caretaker was, and you saw an inconsistency in your life. Maybe they were an elder or a deacon or on staff or they served a bunch or they were just in the church every time the doors were open and you saw out in public the way they treated other people. They loved other people. They had all sorts of patience for other people. They, had, they forgave other people. They did all of these beautiful fruits of the spirit things and it's like they ran out by the time they got home, they had none left for you. And your house was a war zone in comparison to how they treated people in public. And if that's your story, I am so, so sorry. That is not the heart of God. The people closest to us should be our first priority, our first ministry, whether that's your roommate, your spouse, your kids. They're called to be the people that we show love to first and let it flow from out of there, right? And a healthy fear that you and I should all have is that, one day that your kids or your spouse or whoever would say, mom or dad acted differently in the church and how they love people and what they showed than how they were at home. I hope that is a healthy sense of fear in all of us, that we would be people who strive to show Christ inside or outside of the house. And again, I'm preaching to myself here because the people that we're closest to are likely the people who see the worst sides of us. And I'm sure that's true of, of uh, my wife that I, I end up showing her the worst sides of myself. And as my kid or future kids get older, I'll, I'll probably have that tendency as well. That's human tendency, but it's something we need to strive towards and work towards that we would most honor the people closest to us. Author and uh, theologian Jen Wilkin, she talks about um, how Jesus, you know, he commanded in the New Testament that we're called to love our neighbor as ourself, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. But then she goes on to challenge, are, are you remembering that your spouse is your neighbor, that your kids are your neighbor? You're not called to domineer over them, but you're called to respect them and love them and honor them. Like we're called to treat the people inside our home just as well, if not better, than we do the people outside our home. And for those of you who are married, spouses, let's remember what it says in Ephesians chapter five, that we're all called to mutually submit to one another. There's that cuss word. We hate the word submission, right? We're all called to submit to one another, not, not wanting to win the argument, not wanting to make our point or put the other person in their place, but honoring them, looking at them for who they could be, their potential in Christ and speaking life into them. Easier said than done. That's what we're called to do. The next section, we're called to honor people that we disagree with or people that are different than us. And so th there's a church and they study the culture of honor and they have two declarations I wanna read. I think they're great. The first one, it says, honor recognizes and celebrates the best in people 
in spite of our differences. We respond to people based on their God-given identity and the honor in our hearts, not their behavior or their self-definition. So we're called to honor people not based on how they treat us because we so know that our honor is set and found and held in Christ. We're called to receive our honor from him and the outflow again, regardless of how they treat us, regardless of what they say on social media and the argument you're having or whatever, we're called to respond to people based on who Christ says they can be and who he hopes they will be in him, right? That's how we're called to speak life into other people. And then the second statement, it says some people need to belong before they believe. Rather than judging people outside the church, we are to love, serve, and speak life to them, hoping they will soon embrace the truth of the Father's love. So I've heard so many testimonies where this is their story. They needed to know that they belonged before they were willing to bend a knee to Jesus. They needed to know and feel and see the love of God through other people before they were willing to submit to it themselves. And so it's like we are so not called to judge people before they bend their knee to Christ. And uh, there's a verse that that, uh, supports this, 1 Corinthians 5, 12. It says, what business is it of mine to judge people outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside the church? So let's break this down. First off, like if if somebody doesn't have the same worldview as you, if they don't claim to know God, if they don't claim to follow his morals and his standards, why would we judge people against his morals and standards? That doesn't make any sense. Furthermore, what scripture says is that before you knew Christ, before you had the Holy Spirit inside of you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins and you were an enemy of God. And so people who don't know Christ, who don't claim to know Christ, guess how they're gonna act? They're gonna act broken and sinful because they don't know the living hope, yet they don't have the Holy Spirit to guide them. So we shouldn't be shocked when they act broken, right? That, like that's par for the course. That's what we should expect. And furthermore, the second part of this verse, um, I'll just look at it behind me. Are you not to judge those inside the church? So we're called to judge people inside the church. And I know judge... The word judge is really scary, right? Um, But but here's the deal. You don't wanna go to a church where where there's no judgment or, or I guess standards might be a better word for it because what Paul is communicating in this passage is that in the church walls, If there's somebody not reflecting Jesus, they're not showing the love of Christ, they're they're not treating people in Christ's likeness, you're supposed to call them out in it. And you're supposed to do it in love and you're supposed to do it in humility and, and remembering that you have a speck in your own eye, you have your own sin, you're no better than them, but we're called to judge one another and hold one another to standards. If this was a church that had no judgment, judgment judgment-free zone, and there were no standards for the staff or the leaders or the people, it would be chaos and there would be wreckage everywhere. You do not wanna be a part of a church that does not have judgment. We want to have it in the right context that we're holding one another accountable, calling one another to the more of Christ, amen? This is who we strive to be. Lastly, we're called to honor people who we have authority over. 
And so if you have authority over anybody, you have the unique opportunity to speak honor and value and worth over them. It could be that you're a teacher or you're a coach or you're a manager or you're a small business leader. It could be that you're in ministry. It could be that you're an upperclassman and you have authority over the underclassmen. It could be that you're an, an older sibling and you have authority over a younger sibling. Whatever small or big way you have authority over other people, you have the authority to speak life or death into them through your words. That's what scripture says, is that there is life and death found in the tongue, in the words that we speak. And we have the ability to model Christ. In Mark chapter 12, verse, or no, Mark 10, verse 45, Jesus said, the son of man, he was talking about himself, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, for many. And likewise, we as Christ's followers are called not to seek honor, but to give honor away, to let that flow out of us. That's who we're called to be. When I got here to North Star because of our last church experience, I came in as the walking wounded. And I'll say that it's the guys who had authority over me, David Smith and Matt Massey and the elders here, they all spoke life into me about who I was in Christ and, and helped me through a healing process. And, and, and I'll just say like, so I report directly to David, nobody on staff honors me more than David does. And, and that's, I would say that's true of our whole staff team. He honors everybody way more than he honors himself or more than we probably honor him. It, it's a beautiful dichotomy of what Christ calls us to do. And so anyways, I hope you were challenged in some way, shape or form through one of these ways that we're called to honor other people. And what we're gonna do in a moment is I actually want us to get in, in small groups and process what is one win for this upcoming week, one small way that you could better honor other people. So you're not answering all of these, you're just answering whichever one most applies to you. How could you better honor God? How could you better honor the people closest to you? How could you honor people you disagree with or you're different than, or people that you have authority over? We're looking for one small win this upcoming week. What are you challenged to? We're gonna have some music playing in the background. And uh, if there's anyone kind of on their own, please invite them into your group. But if you wanna stay on your own, that's totally fine too. You're welcome to reflect whatever's good for you. Uh, we're gonna take a few minutes to discuss, and then Justin is gonna close out our time. So feel free to dive into groups.
wine, everybody. Let's start to wrap it up. It's a nice thing to be able to talk with your neighbor and share transparently and vulnerably and reflect. That is the community at its best, I think. Anybody else uh, challenged, encouraged, inspired by Cody's uh, talk this morning? Um, thank you, Cody, very much for sharing your own story. And I was, uh, I was sharing uh, both in the first uh, celebration that we had and this last one too, really for me, that point too, I don't know about you, about how am I showing honor to my own family? My wife and I literally had a talk about this two nights ago where she said, hey, how come, you know, sometimes outside you, you tend to display this and then inside the home there's a moment of lack of empathy here or a moment of unkindness here. And it was a, it was a challenge to my heart. And so Cody, I just wanna say thanks for being obedient in preparation. This is another reminder of the filter that I wanna have on that I don't just see people with the dignity and value they deserve, but I'm living that out to the best of my ability, especially to those who are closest to me. So thank you for that. Um, as Cody mentioned, my name is Justin, and we're going to transition to uh, probably for me is what may be one of the most meaningful things about the Sunday service here at North Star week in, week out, and that's this moment of prayer, communion, and worship that we get to experience together, and I want to invite you into that. And so here's what that's going to look like here for the next few moments. Uh, it's a chance for us to go and maybe take uh, a step a little bit deeper into the things that are pressing at our heart uh, based on what we just heard and maybe what the Holy Spirit is bringing to light in each of us. And we don't need to be afraid of it. Hopefully you're not. God is one of the most gentle that I've ever seen when he begins to reveal things on the inside. And so maybe for you in this next moment, it's just an act of reflection and worship. And you want to actually redirect that back to God in a moment of prayer for yourself or a moment of worship. And I would encourage you, maybe you're used to the, the Christian sway, you know, in worship. I know I certainly am. I could live right here all day. But... Maybe, maybe you want to lift your hand and extend it as just an act of reaching out, just a, just a declaration. I'm just going to go a little bit deeper with God today. Maybe you want to take communion that we offer on either sides of the platform here where you'll notice that every week we have an opportunity, whether it's by yourself or with your friends or your family, to come up and remember what Christ did for us on the cross when his body was broken for us on the cross, which is what that bread or that broken cracker represents as we receive it together. We're reminded that his blood was poured out for us and we are able to participate in that moment when we receive the cup, the juice that's on either side of that moment of communion. And we're reminded that while Christ's body was broken for us and his blood was poured out on our behalf, it wasn't just a momentary thing for us, but it is the forgiveness of sin that is available to us today. It's healing that was offered to us and promised to us both for spirit, soul, and thirdly for our bodies as well. So that's something you can do. I'd also invite you, if you need a moment of prayer, we have teams available across the front here uh, that will be uh, ready and available and have prayed for these moments that God would come meet us in there. And so if there's something that you need encouragement for, something that you need God's intervention with in your life, no shame in coming up and sharing that with somebody here who will believe God's best for you. So why don't you stand up to your feet with me right now, and we're gonna take these few moments. We're not in a rush, we're not in a hurry. Take your time, work at the speed of whatever speed the Holy Spirit's doing inside of your heart, and let's partake in this moment of worship, communion, and prayer together. Let me pray for us as we step into that. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that your presence is here, and it's not because of anything special that we've done or anything special about us as individuals, but it's because of your honor for us and the way that you love us and elevate and lift us up every single moment of the day. God, I thank you that your spirit is here. The presence of the Lord is here with the power to heal. 
And so as we take communion and as we pray and as we worship, Holy Spirit, would you have your way in this room and in living rooms across the city who are watching online and joining us online here today. God, have your way in and through us. In Jesus' name, let's worship together.